Welcome back to the Legacy Builder Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jared Holtz of Ascent Financial. And today we have with us Al Bennett, who is a business planning consultant at Ascent. Good morning, Al. Morning, Jared. So we're gonna talk about something today that is of topic to anybody in business, if you are in business with anybody else. And it's something that people usually don't run out to talk about and work on, and that's that's your buy-sell agreement, your operating agreement. Um, why are we why do we talk about this here today? Well, Jared, I, I think of all the work we've done with the thousands of clients we've worked with who we help put a business together and prepare it for the future. And kind of the last thing they want to talk about or think about is what if the business comes apart? Right. And we've done too much work over the years where unfortunately people will come to us and say, I don't get along anymore with my brother. I want to get out of the business. Or they'll show up and say, I'm going through a divorce. Um, and my wife has some ownership in the company. We don't have a buy-sell agreement. How is this going to work for us? Mm -hmm. And not that we can't navigate through that and figure out a solution for them, but if ahead of time they would have taken the, the time, the energy, worked with a good attorney to design a professional buy-sell agreement, it wouldn't have been so hard. It wouldn't have been so complex and certainly not as costly. Yep, absolutely. Um, I, I was listening to a, a podcast recently myself, and on there was Gary Keller of, of Keller Williams Realty, one of the largest realty firms out there. And he was asked the question, what's the most important document in your business? And he said, it's our buy-sell agreement. Mm -hmm. So I was like, why, why, why would it be your buy-sell agreement? That's, that's the oh crap document, right? That's not the, and he said, no, that's the backbone of our business. That's what keeps it together. That's what helps keep it live on. And that's why we're talking about it here today, because it is one of the most important things, but it's also one of the most overlooked things. Uh, Al, what, to, I mean, if you, to sum it up, what is a buy-sell? It's, it's really, Jared, it's, it's part of your, again, your organizational documents where it addresses the what-if scenarios. What if, so you put together this group of people that have equity in your business, well, what if someone leaves? Mm -hmm. And we call it the departure trigger. And it could be that they leave voluntarily. I just won the Powerball. I'm moving to Hawaii. I want out. It could be that you have to ask them to leave, or worst case, you literally have to fire that individual, uh, maybe for reasons of you know an ethical violation or embezzlement or some goofy thing that you can't have them part of your, your business. Right. So departure is the first thing to think about, and how would you deal with that? The second one is disability. And what's to say that you might have someone with some equity in your business and maybe by reasons of an accident of some sort or maybe they've had a stroke or whatever, but they're disabled, they can't participate in the business anymore. Well, what does the business owe them? How are they dealt with? Uh, thirdly, and, and we see a fair share of this, is divorce. Again, what happens if I've got an owner's group and there's a divorce in the, in the family? How, how are those equity positions dealt with? The next one is death. What happens if someone dies? What if someone passes away? And, mm -hmm. and as you well know, there's always this assumption, well, it's gonna be grandpa that goes first, you know, and, and by then he'll be out of the business or it won't be, you know, of that an important deal. Well, sadly, you know, that's not always how it works out. Um, in my career, I've had too many successors who, because of fire, motorcycle accident, um, 
drug overdose, whatever, where it's the successor that dies, passes away, and, and they, they leave behind a family that's owed right. some money. Well, how do we deal with them? And then the last trigger would be retirement. What does the buy-sell say about if I've served my time in the business and I'm approaching retirement age, what does the business owe me? How financially will I be treated? Yeah. So all of those triggering events, Jared, can be put into a legal document, be negotiated between the owner's group, and hopefully kept current, reviewed on a regular basis, so that you know if there's reason to change it, make it different, or amend it, that that happens. Um, but without it, it really very oftentimes gets the business in a lot of trouble. So to kind of sum it up here, some triggering events death, disability, departure. Whether a divorce, de departure is, I'm departing from the business via a divorce, retirement, mm -hmm. or I'm just withdrawing from the business, or I'm being forced out, or we're, for, we're asking somebody to leave. Right. Yeah, now, anytime right. it's really a severability yes. is, is when this, uh, this buy-sell comes into place. Right, exactly, and these triggering events Again, people want to hope or assume that they're never going to happen to us. You know, our family is different. We're unique. We're special. Uh, the we're the one is, that will never yes. need it. Yeah. And the reality of it is, is that more often than not, one of these events or more, one or more, will hit the, the business. Yep, absolutely. And we should, we should preface all this by saying that we are not attorneys. We're talking about this because we oftentimes find ourselves working with clients to understand what they would want to have happen in these scenarios. We help take clients through that process to uh, do that what-if analysis and to really make sure that this buy-sell agreement is lined up with the client's economics for their business. If you have a good buy-sell agreement, the, the ultimate goal is to have there be as minimum disruption as possible. And oftentimes, too many times, that's not the case. Uh, the the buy-sell does not really align with the economics of the business. They don't know how they came up with the numbers. They sounded good, or it's what works for other businesses. What we're going to be talking about here next and, and some of the things, it's always coming back to to make sure it works for that business. And oftentimes, you got to have somebody, a part of the business or the planning process, to make sure that it will work. How do you run a stress test for, on, your, on your business from a financial perspective in case there is a death um, or a disability. That's, that's really what kind of drives why we talk about this. Well, and as you indicate, Jared, you know, our role is never to give legal advice. You know, we're not authorized to do that. Um, we do, however, have the advantage of working with some of the best attorneys in the country that construct really good solid by sell agreements, and that's some of what we want to share just based on our experience. So I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, where are some areas that we see people get into trouble or where they might back up and say, I wish we would have been more clear in our buy-sell agreement. And one of them is simply in the matter of valuation, mm -hmm. where the document's not explicit. If there is a triggering event, how are we valuing things? Is it, is it a depreciated value? Is it a fair market value? I mean, you know, kind of where do you put an anchor, and, and then timing is critically important. And this is years ago, I had a project where, again, it was someone leaving the business, and they happened to be in a livestock production market, and the value of, of the commodity has had fallen off dramatically. 
Well, as you might suspect, the remaining members wanted to use today's valuation of the cheaper price, whereas the departing brother said, no, I want to go back six months when prices were peaking. That's where I want you to value my share. Well, again, they had no buy-sell agreement, and there was no rationale to, mitigate, or, you know, to navigate through that conflict without us coming in and helping mediate a solution. Yep. So again, by having that um, agreement really well-crafted, well articulated of, you know, how do we determine that valuation? What's the timing of that? And then what we oftentimes see is that there is an agreement for process and coming to that valuation, and then the clock starts, hopefully for about 15 months. And the reason we say 15 months is that if we can agree on, an, on a value, perhaps like on 1231 of, of a given year, and know that for 15 months, those are the numbers we're going to use, well, if there's a triggering event within a year, we're not waiting for the next year-end books or whatever. We've got a value that we can build off of that is valid, defensible for our 15-month window. Yep. And I know that it's, it's a best practice from our perspective anyways and from a lot of the, the attorneys that we work with to have the clients do or the business do what we call an annual certificate where once a year... The, the business sits down, they go through the valuation, like you said, and they agree upon a valuation. And then everybody signs it. Right. All the stakeholders sign it and the spouses. And as you move to that annual certificate evaluation, uh, really what we want to have in there, Jared, is every single triggering event. Right. You know, a description of if this is the current balance sheet, what would happen if someone would die? You know, what does the buy-sell say would happen? Using today's balance sheet, if someone were to leave, how are they dealt with? You know, is there a discount for an early departure or whatever? And then at the end of that meeting, after everyone has seen that certificate evaluation, there's signature lines and date lines at the bottom, not only for the owner's group to sign, but also so, for, so their right. spouses can sign it again. So they are acknowledging the valuations and what the buy-sell agreement has in case of a, a divorce that's on the horizon. Yep, absolutely. It uh, hopefully, if there's a valuation process being done, it drives conversation with those that aren't as close to the business. Um, if you're a spouse and you are introduced to the business once a year, at least this is, might be the one time a year mm -hmm. that you understand what's going on in the business. What are some of the numbers? So that way, if there is a triggering event, you're not hearing about it for the first time from an attorney or, or a judge or somebody else and you have no idea. I mean, this should be a document that everybody's in agreement on and understands how well, it affects them. And a couple of pieces I think are critically important, Jared. Imagine that you're the widow and your husband had a substantial equity stake in this business and was tragically killed or had the heart attack and passed away. If you've not had that opportunity on at least once a year to go to that meeting and review the annual certificate, you have no idea. Right how that's going to work for you or for your family or maybe for your kids that he's left behind. Um, one of the things that I would tie in here also is you talked about the feasibility of all of this is that, again, we worked with a family years ago where the company had purchased a life insurance policy on the owner who had passed away. But with respect to the gap or the hole that that individual left, there was an impact to the business. Right. And although there was enough of the proceeds and the death benefit to cover the equity to pay off the widow. It also left this, I would say, bruise on the business. Well, how do we replace that key manager? 
So they had thought ahead, they had planned ahead to almost over-insure beyond that equity value because they knew there was risk to the business from a revenue standpoint without that key manager. They knew there would be a cost to replacing that key manager, and so they insured to manage that risk. Wow, that's, that's well said. Those are the things that people don't, don't think about usually when they're building their buy-sell is looking at that from, okay, a person has passed away or has become disabled. We need to make sure that their family or their estate is taken care of and that we treat them fairly. But how do we survive then afterwards? If you're a bus small business, sometimes the skill sets or the knowledge domain is, is it's not you know, widely available. Or if you're an owner of the business, how often have you taken a lower salary or a wage to build the business up? I mean, I, I don't think every business owner that we work with, even if it's a su successful business, they're not paying themselves six figures every year and a lot of them, you know, keep their living standards low and the money in the business and working. Well, if you're not hiring another family member to take over the business or to be the CFO, you might have to pay significantly more than you did before. Right. And if there yes. isn't the, the working capital there or the ability to help fit that into the business, that can be a, that can be a disruption on its own. Right. And, and, you know, as we're talking about, you know, you're really trying to design this by itself for the sustainability of the business. Right. You really are hoping to have a legacy business here. And if you're not managing the risks of all these triggering events, and you're really not looking at the future. An example of that might be, if you think about, imagine you've got a number of brothers farming together and, and there's a divorce in one of the families. But because of the way the business was structured, the the spouse, the wife, who's getting the divorce, has ownership. She's got some equity, and you go back to the buy-sell, and it says, well, if she's leaving the family, she has an obligation to sell that equity back to the business. Well, that might sound on its face like you're protecting the business, but what if you're the husband enduring that divorce, and you're saying, well, wait a minute, that was what I thought was my family's equity, or that I would have a chance to buy back, not the company buy it back. Well, a really thorough buy-sell agreement would at least offer the option mm -hmm. to that about-to-be-single fella that we're going to give you an option, obviously for a limited time, but we're going to give you a chance to buy that equity back that your ex-wife is you know, basically putting back on the table. Because if we don't do that, we've now turned that, that owner into a, minor, a minority shareholder you know, really by, by the triggering of a divorce, which was not the intent. That's not right. what we wanted to have happen. Particularly if he's got successors in his family coming behind that want to be part of this business, and maybe in his plan, his vision was to give them his equity, and all of a sudden you've stripped a percentage of that away by virtue of the divorce. Right. So again, part of why we're having this conversation is for families to think about all these triggering events and where are the landmines? Mm -hmm. You know, where are the things that get people into trouble that you could go in and ask questions of your attorney? Well, what, what would we do in this case? And what if this happened? To make sure that you give that legal professional opportunity to cover all of those bases in the original architect, architecture yep. of the design. One other thing that I've seen that, again, I think is unfortunate is a buy-sell agreement that although it talked about all the triggering events, there was really no process for resolving conflict. In other words, if people didn't agree, it kind of went straight to the court, straight to the judge, straight to the attorney spending a bunch of money. And, you know, my bias is maybe we don't have to go to that level. You know, maybe we could have 
put into the buy-sell agreement some language that would describe the opportunity for a mediator to come in and mediate a resolution. Or perhaps it goes up a layer and goes to arbitration. And there's language about, is it binding arbitration? Can we agree that if we have a professional panel of arbitrators, again, we avoid the expense and the fight of a court case yep. to deal with some of that. Um, one last thing I'd add is that even if you've got a really well-designed buy-sell agreement and you've covered every base, make sure that along the way, if you're amending or changing your estate plan, that they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, they need to align. And I've got a project right now where I talked to the owner and his wife, and they just were very happy to share with me that they updated their estate plan, and they're going to do some nice things for the next generation. And then I said to him, well, how does that correlate to your buy-sell agreement? Right. Well, it doesn't. Right. You know, so again, making sure that those two documents always talk to each other. Yeah, they got to talk hand in hand. Yeah. And really to walk through those scenarios all the way, step by step, if there is a death and this happens, well, then this happens. Where does the, where does the, sh the, the shares or the equity or the, or the units stop next? Are we okay having that person in business with us? Uh, what kind of control do we need to maintain in the business? Al, you, you brought up a point a, a, a little bit ago here about the valuation of the business and about protecting the equity. Um, I think it would be very important for us to talk about something that we're passionate about, and that's, that's valuation discounts mm -hmm. uh, or protecting the business. And you know, there's a couple of them that are, are more common amongst closely held entities, that's uh, minority interest discount, it's lack of marketability, or lack of control, for two, you know. Yeah. Um, those, are, those are common, but another one that we built in over time is, is almost like a vesting schedule, or what we call like an early out business protection discount. Can you talk more yeah. about that? Sure. Um, the term I like to use, Jared, is, is simply a discount schedule that if you're a successor and you're coming into a business that if the owner's group has said to us, you know, it's critically important that we protect the equity of this business. And we want to make certain that if we've got a son or daughter coming to the business, this isn't some kind of a, a social experiment for them where they're going to come and give a, give a run at this thing for three or four years and then leave. Yep. Um, again, if they do get voted off the island, we know that there's an expense to the business we know we've got to find a replacement for them. How do we make sure that they've not left with a big bag of cash and put the business in jeopardy? So what we recommend on the front end is that there is some sort of, as you indicate, discount schedule on that equity attached typically to the criteria of time. So let's say, for example, that I've been the successor. I came and I paid my dues as an employee for maybe four or five years. I Now I'm going to have the chance to earn some equity in this business. You know, that's a great mile marker to reach, but if I become an owner and for one reason or another things don't work out, and let's say in five years I decide I'm leaving, or I quit, or you have to fire me. Well, if I've had some fingerprints on the design of the discount schedule, I'm probably saying if it's within five years and you're leaving, whatever equity you earn stays. In other words, discount's 100%. Right. Um, now, on the other hand, if you've been in the business for 10 years, 15 years, paid your dues, help grow the business, then I'm saying that the discounts start to erode over time and ultimately go away, you know. But it might be 20 years before they go away totally. We've had some really, really large businesses where the discount schedules will stretch out for 30 years, yep. saying that 
until you devote your career to this family business, there's always going to be a discount hanging over your head. And it's the incentive to stay on board, stay a part of it, keep contributing. Absolutely. Again, it all comes back to the economics. If someone has to leave the business, we want to ask ourselves, what happens to the business? And too many times, the clients that we, that we work with, if you're a small business, you're, you're growing, you're scaling, your money is working for you. And if all of a sudden you got to add into the, to the budget now, buyout for a business partner, and you weren't planning on that, that can be very detrimental. And so we, we challenge our business owners to think about that and say, are, is that okay? Is that allowed? Are we okay to risk the business if someone decides to, to leave the business early? Oftentimes we hear them say, no, we're in this, this is the, we're playing the long game here. We're making a 20-year, 30-year commitment to each other to keep going. And recently, uh, I was helping two business owners who they own a, a real estate company um, with apartments and, and uh, townhouses. And, you know, they're making money and they're growing this business, but they have borrowed money. And if they had to buy one, a partner out right now, they figured out that the business would be done. And they said, that's not our intention. Our intention, you know, that would, ha that would have significant tax consequences and really leave them in a hole. And it would just, it would, it would disintegrate the business. They looked at each other and said, that's, that's not our intention. We're making a commitment to each other. And if one of us decides to leave early, other than death or disability, well, I, I got to leave some money on the table. And those can be hard conversations, but, um, you know, that happens in business. And I think what you're referring to, Jared, is really kind of the beta testing that we like to do with businesses in these triggering events. And if we've got consensus in the front end that we're designing a buy-sell agreement for the benefit of the business, and I know that ultimately if I'm an equity stakeholder at some point and I leave or I get fired, I know it's probably unfair for me to think I can take all of my equity with me. Yep. Or if it's, it's a long-term play where, again, you're bringing in the next generation and I have an expectation of some sort of buyout or using the business as my 401k, hopefully we've had the opportunity to come in and do some financial modeling for people to show them what's feasible or what would work and what would not sink the ship in that, and I know you and I have got a joint project right now where the dad and the uncle, as they're leaving the business, allowed us to work with them about what they wanted their standing of, standard of living to look like and mutually agreed to leave what we call legacy equity in the business. In other words, they want to give the next generation kind of a jump start, knowing full well that, especially in, in the ag space that we work in, that if you force every generation to completely buy out the business of the preceding generation at retail value or fair market value, um, you're really just poking holes in the bottom of the boat. We know that won't work. So to be able to, again, do the modeling to say to folks, we appreciate the fact that you've helped build this business and develop some equity here, just so you know, you can't strip it clean when you leave. Yep. You've got to leave some fruit on the vine for the next generation. And if, we, if we've got a good buy-sell agreement, if we've done the financial forensics, we can illustrate that to everyone, yep. old owners and new, and help them understand the importance of that. You're bringing up some, some, uh, some thoughts here, Al. I'm just gonna start throwing a couple out there that I think would be valuable as well. You know, as you're talking about the, the buy-sell agreement or the operating agreement, partnership agreement, um, recently working with a client, and their current document said that if there is a death of one of the partners, 
that their interest could be transferred to a spouse. And that there didn't have to be a buyout. And I asked the owners, I said, you, you get along with your business partner's spouse, but could you imagine being in business with that person? Does that person have any idea about what goes on? And they said, absolutely not. They, they're not involved in this business at all. They don't know what we're doing. And if we had to make business decisions together, I don't know how long that would last. Well, and the, tragically, as you described that, the ones that I've seen kind of take it to the next level is let's say that that widow remarries. Right. And remarries someone hostile to the business. Now, not only do you have someone in the owner's position who has little or no understanding of the business, now they just married someone that they're emotionally attached to who has an agenda that's negative toward the business. Absolutely. So again, what did your buy-sell agreement How's it designed? How are we going to insulate against some of that? Yep, absolutely. And as we wrap up here, uh, I'm going to touch on a couple more risks to buy-sell planning, or sometimes the the, the lack of planning. Um, and that one could be the tax consequences of a buy-sell agreement. And depending on your state, depending on your tax code, you need to make sure that your buy-sell agreement is complementary and that it's not going to leave you in a binding position. Uh, for, for example, if, if you're in an entity that could create a taxable event if somebody leaves the business, well, what does that look like? You know, even if you create, create an installment sale to buy a partner out, in some situations, there, there could be a much bigger triggering tax that first year than what that buying out, that person getting bought out even gets in payments. And we've seen it where, we, we, where clients can't even get afford, afford to get out of their own business. And they get trapped. Um, we suggest sometimes down payments to help in those situations. There's, there's so many little things that need to be taken into consideration. So if you're, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, and if you're creating a buy-sell agreement, we challenge you to talk to your CPA about this. Talk to your other advisors to make sure, hey, is, are we thinking about everything correctly here? Because too many times people will build out their buy-sell agreements or their operating agreements in a silo. And they won't have everybody look at it. And those are some of the events that can be easily avoided if the proper steps are taken. And a lot of it is just talking with your team members. Right. And I would maybe add, Jared, even if you've done a great job of designing it, you've gotten a lot of outside advice, you really think that you've got kind of like the, the best buy-sell agreement could possibly have been created, don't let it go stale. Tax laws change. Absolutely. People change. Events happen. Um, you know, pull this thing down off the shelf and review it, make sure it's still relevant. Yeah. How often uh, do you think people should be reviewing well, these documents? Well, you know, now will be a great time, I mean, to think about this as we've got an election coming up very shortly and there could be some changes in tax law. Yep. As this so, podcast is being recorded yeah. here in, in uh, October of, of 2020, um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point. Be looking at that and seeing what's, what's going to happen. So, um, Al, anything else here that we should be talking about or touching on as we wrap up on buy-sells? We've hit a lot of the, the high points of buy-sell planning. We didn't get that deep. but Sure, and know that, you know, it's really impossible to cover a buy-sell agreement in a short podcast like this. You know, typically when we do it, you know, we're working with a family over a period of time. As you indicate, we're involving their attorney and their CPA. We're asking a lot of hard questions. We expect them to come back with some, we thought of this or here's another idea. But it's something that's designed and constructed over months, not days. Yeah. So um, it, it's a very huge, important step in the design yep. of a business. 
and hoping that people take this seriously and invest the kind of time and energy that's relative. And we do have some documents on our website if people want some uh, additional resources to help them in the planning process to break this down into pieces. Uh, if you go to ascentmn.com, under tools, there are free pieces and resources available that can help, uh, help individuals start this planning process. So, Al, thank you so much for taking time today to talk through the very high points of buy-sell planning. This is a very deep conversation and uh, we might have to have a part two about some of the additional risks and getting into the deeper layers. But for today, thank you so much. Sounds good, you're welcome.